0: So now that we've divided up according to the different scenes, um, we can start to do a similar, uh, similar phrasing to what we did in the epistle. Um, and this will reveal to us the structure of the narrative. <clears throat> Once we understand the structure of the narrative, it's much easier to uh, explain it. Um, <clears throat> and then we'll find that each, each one of these temptations is a very similar structure, very similar themes going on. Uh, so we started with the tempter came and said to him, and then we could probably we could probably divide it right here right so that's the content of what he says right so where where do we answer it next or where where what would we uh where would we divide it next so where where would we divide it next
1: uh, it is written
0: yeah, that's exactly right yeah um and <clears throat> we we could probably bring this up um, because the but, the but contrasts what the tempter said and did, right? So then we could say, he answered, it is written. And then we have the content of what he says. Man, shall I live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So if we were to use our Uh, relationship markers we could probably divide it like probably divide it into two sections so first is the temptation and then secondly the response right so we have the tempter comes says and then the response of jesus and then this next one, I think we can divide it up in a similar way, right? So the devil took him to the city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. So where, where did we divide this one? Okay. Mm-hmm. That's right, yeah. Took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, <clears throat> right? So the devil does three things there. So first he did two things then it said. It 3 takes he sets and he says if you are the son of God throw yourself down and say Ford is written what is written he will command his angels concerning you and then he has a second quotation <clears throat> and they will bear they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone And then Jesus says to him, again, it is written, and then the content of the answer. So we see a really similar section here then, right? So you have the temptation, and then the response once again. And then just quickly, we can do the same thing in this last one. So again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kings of the world in their glory, and said to him, All these I will give you. Give me a conditional phrase. I'll give you if you fall down and worship. Then Jesus said to him, Begone, Satan, for it is written. You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall shall you serve. The devil left him, and angels were ministering. So once again, here we can <clears throat> we we'll probably divide it up here the temptation,
2: and then here the response.
0: Does that make sure sense how we did all that? Yeah. So so what yeah so what that does any any questions on that at all Okay so we'll we'll revisit this when we when we talk about our homiletical outline so how we how we transition this from just exegetical observations to a homiletical outline but all we're doing right now is these exegetical observations we've divided up the text we understand how all the parts relate to one another So let's go then so we've done two we we've done the Ephesians 1 <clears throat> Matthew 4. Let's do just one more. And I want you to break up into your groups uh, and open up your, one of you in the group, open up a computer. And I want you to do this. Uh, So you're going to go to phrasing, choose a passage. I want you to do this for Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. How would you how would you divide this up, how would you do an exegetical outline for this? So go ahead and do this in your group. We'll come back in maybe 10 minutes or so, and then kind of review review how to do this. Okay, so your group, I'm sure the different groups are different points in the process some of you might be done some of you might be halfway through I'm not sure but let's let's come together and uh and take a look at this together um how did you all find this I guess first of all was it was it easy was it hard how did you find this yeah you can go ahead and talk if you have the mic I'm I'm waiting on you
1: oh okay um so I feel like this really would help us in uh, expositional preaching to find the structure from the text, mm-hmm. following the flow of how it is written and just from there. To, is that a right use of it?
0: Good. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly what I was hoping for. Well, I, I'm going to go ahead and, and kind of outline this. For us, and then uh, if you have any questions, you have the microphone. Uh, let me know, and we can we can go over any questions you have. Um, so Paul says and testifies. He has two actions, two actions which are the same. It's the same thing. Right? It's a command. Testifies in the Lord, and this is what he testifies: that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, and then. We could say, which equals in the futility of their minds or the futility, right? Don't don't walk like them. And how do they walk in the futility of their minds? Uh, then he describes what that looks like. What what does it look like? That how do the Gentiles walk? They are dark in understanding, alienated from the life of God that is in them due to their hardness of heart. We could even say it like this. Um alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of their hardness of heart. Uh, and then the third one, the third description of Gentiles is they become callous, have given themselves up to sexuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. You could even probably say because they're greedy to practice every kind of impurity with the result that they're greedy to practice of every kind of impurity. Just with the original in my mind. Um, and then there's a clear, there's a clear break right here, right? Yeah. That's the first section, that's the second. Um, so then if I was to draw our arrows and whatnot, I'd probably do it like this. So there's three things the Gentiles are. Three ways the Gentiles walk, and then this is a single package again, right? This whole idea is, is a package, um, and I think we could even we could even mark that off as its own package as well if we wanted to.
1: Can we further divide? Um, sorry. Can we? Yeah. Can we further divide? They have become callous and split it and have given underneath?
0: Yeah. Yeah, we probably could. they would become callous.
1: Yeah, something like that.
0: And they've given themselves up to every time impurity.
1: Yeah. It would be a little even further in because it's under under then <laughs> greedy to, yeah, it'd be a little bit look, Yes, that's what-
0: Yeah, we, yeah, yeah, you can do it like that. So then we would do this again. These arrows aren't like really necessary, but they're kind of cool, aren't they? And then we can even make it, if you want to, we can make it even more clear and say like, like, this: they, are darkened alienated yeah. they have become callous and if we want to we can even callous alienated darkened. And those are the three things they are wow that the gentiles are um, then if we're if we're going to put these are our, our um our relationships we could say this is this is the command right or we could say yeah to parallel commands, and then we can say that this is the content of the command. You see how like if, once you do this, the sermon really writes itself pretty easily, (laughs) right? Like, okay. So there's, this is like main point one, and then you have three sub points. Don't be like the Gentiles, There, there are these three things. And then, this is a little difficult at the beginning, I think. I think this is dif- where to put this. This is not the way you learn Christ. So there's a, there's a few things you could do here. Um, I, you could kind of indent this a little bit. um and this how did you learn Uh, it's not the way you learn christ assuming that you heard about him and were taught in him that the truth is in jesus right and then here, i don't want this to be all the way out here because it's going to make it difficult to display so i'm just going to bring it back but i think what we could do is say something like the way you did not learn christ is this this package It's this whole everything, right? It's the whole box. You didn't, you did not learn Christ. When you learn Christ, you learn to not walk this way. Instead, you learned, um, you learned to put off the old self. we had a description of that. The old self belongs to the four manner of life and is corrupt as evil desires. And to put on the and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And to put on the new self. And it's described as created in the likeness of God. And it's we can say it's in true righteousness and holiness. Uh, And we can put boxes around these again, like that if we want to. So we put off. We renew, put on the new self, put all that together again. Again, I think we can bold in this to put off, to be renewed, to put on. Um, And we could connect it also, I think. You were taught. Put off,
2: you were taught to be renewed, and you were taught to put on, right?
0: So then, so then this, I think, I think what's happening here is we could say that this is, this is the content of the command up here, but I, we could say that this is content part two, maybe. Or maybe a positive. Like the first part is the negative side of the command. This is the positive side. And then maybe we could say that this is content one.
2: Content two. And then content three.
0: And you can do other things to kind of highlight certain information. Like one one of the themes is certainly in in Christ, so maybe you could highlight all of that in the Lord Christ, in Jesus. Those are the things you could do to to highlight repetition and structure, but. That'd be the basic way I would do it. Does that make sense? How we got there? Any questions on that? Can
1: you send us, uh, I don't know, if you can copy it or like print it?
0: <laughs> yeah, I could probably get this to you guys, for so sure.
3: How to put it
0: in books? Uh, so you can go to the arrows, arrows plus, and then click on the new box part. <laughs> And then you highlight, then you click on the ones you want to put in the box. So you click on the new box. You can click on the first line and then the last line and then press create. And that'll put it in the box. You don't have to do boxes. I kind of like the boxes. The boxes just kind of help me visualize big kind of chunk ideas. I mean, this is just my way of doing it, right? Like you, you can develop your own way of doing it. The boxes just kind of help me see that kind of stuff any questions on that like you don't have to have you know box things and done the lines like me but if you if you structured it like completely differently or don't understand how i i structured it like that feel free to ask a question okay good so that, that's the last one that I wanted to do as a group. So now we're gonna do a workshop. So, so you can open up a new tab. So I want, if, if everyone can grab their computer or their app, or you can do this on a piece of paper if you want to, you can do the same thing on paper. You don't have to have the website to do it. I think the website just makes it a little bit easier, but if you have the website, oh, you can open up your computer, go to phrasing, and then you can do your text there. Uh, and we'll do again, 30 minutes. So that'll take us all the way up to uh 215 and uh just do it yourself once you've kind of done it yourself talk to your neighbor ask them for help ask them what they think and then we can kind of come back together and and look at it together if we want to
1: josh if we do it on paper do you want us to like send a picture to you as part of our final thing
0: yeah, so if you do it on paper, so, so at, the, at the end, what you're going to do is create a single document that has everything in it, um, so you can you can take a picture and make it as s- separate if you want to, just the one submission, or you can put that in a Word document with, with the other things, just make that a picture in the Word document versus uh, text in the Word document, it'll be fine. Yeah. yeah much good. battery yeah, like left left in Okay, sounds good. Okay, guys, well, enjoy. Take, take about 30 minutes. Try really hard to, to do this yourself, to think through it yourself. And of course, include the people in your preaching cohort. They'll be able to help you, but try to think through it yourself first. Okay, so we, we can come back together now. Um, you can work on this some more tonight as well, or if you want some help with it, uh, we can just look at a couple here. Uh, so, Mikey. This is good work, dividing up the scenes, my friend. Um, I, think, I think you have a, a clear basis for a homiletical outline, too, because you have two responses, right? The response of the Israelites. You'd say they respond in complaining and distrust or lack of faith. And the response of Moses, who responds in faith, right? So that's, that's great. I think, I think clearly the setting, you did a good job showing this, is, this sets up the setting. Pharaoh draws near the people lift up their eyes is the Egyptians are marching after them and now we have now now we know what's going on and now we have the story right that's good um I I might work to subordinate a couple of these so can you see my mouse or no I'm assuming you can yeah so I think this probably could go in a little bit more um this so this would probably be a subordinate idea to the Egyptians so you could probably move it in to the right this could be moved over to the right too um it be better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. So this is an either or. So you probably you can probably break it right here between serving the Egyptians and dying in the wilderness. And this is just to serve you, right, to help you understand the flow. Like they have all two alternatives: one, serve the Egyptian; two, die in the wilderness. I think overall, you have you have your scenes, right? And that's 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 what you need for a narrative sermon: is to figure out what your scenes are. And you have the basis for for what you want to do with your sermon. I might just work to be a little bit more precise in it, but you all in all, good work. Any, any specific questions I can answer for you on it?
1: Uh, do you think I should uh, base the response of the Israelites based on all the options they have? Like options they saw were either dying in the wilderness or serving the Egyptians, but in the response of Moses, we see a totally different option that they didn't even think of while, uh, in that situation. So should I like make a uh, separation And I don't know like what do you would you suggest in that?
0: Yeah, I I think I think you could preach it like that. Um yeah, I they when uh and you know, there's a few ways you could preach it but i think i think that's the that's the basis of it or you could even say something like you know the when we look yeah depending on depending on where you want to go with it their, their problem was that they didn't look to the lord they only looked to themselves and their own resources and that led them to despair instead of looking to the lord and seeing him accomplish their salvation right the lord the lord could accomplish their salvation they've only to sit and be silent so think it's good my friend yeah uh sammy let me pull up yours here so i think i think you've done a good job marking the the major divisions of the text here i think just like mikey you it's clear you know here's paul's astonished then that they left the gospel then he gives them a warning if anyone preaches another gospel let them be a curse that's a single unit and then Paul's kind of conclusion right he he wants to serve, he wants to uh seek the approval of men not the approval or he wants to see the approval of Christ not the approval of men i think I think it's exactly yep I think that's how the text breaks down um I might there might be a few places you could divide it more um let's see. Preaching a gospel contrary
3: received
0: yeah so like if if we and you could break it here even if we break or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel contrary to one that we preach to you let would be your first and that's not a big deal right but uh, the point is you've you've done a good job breaking the major divisions good good note here contrast with paul I think you've got it my friend there's a few places you could be a little bit more precise but I think I think you got it. Are any questions I can answer for you, Sammy? No. Okay, great. Uh, Emmanuel. Yes, yeah, so you got Luke 15. So the setting of the story. Oh, here, let me pull this over. Setting, youngest son lost, younger son regrets, begs his father's forgiveness, father's overjoyed, younger son. The lost heart of the older son, the father's compassion, passionate heart for his older son. How's it overjoyed with the Yeah, I think you divided that up. Um, let's see. I think I might try to. I might try to um to be a little bit more clear with um what the relationships between the different clauses. It looks like you started right? you've done a good job with that um, i I might you could maybe work to make it a little bit more parallel, so like if the section' is the younger son lost, you could maybe make the section the younger son found. Maybe, maybe make these par- parallel the father's compassion heart for his sons, um, the lost heart of the older son. Yeah, maybe you can even make these heart parallel the lost heart of the older son, the lost something of the younger son. Just to make it a little bit more compelling. Um, then I wonder if you could even make it like if if your emphasis is the compassion of the father, right? Um, like this is certainly overjoyed is right. But if we're, if we're right, like down here, it's celebrating and being glad is the emphasis again. So I wonder if you could bring out compassion here, just like you bring compassion here. Um, the lost heart of the older son, maybe the lost, maybe even call it the lost heart of the younger son right they both have a lost heart it's just the the younger son's lost heart le- leads him to leave the father the, the older son's lost heart leads him to judge the father or condemn the father but i think i think you've got the main divisions of the text i think i think you're doing well
2: Thank you. and that that
0: yeah any questions for me on that any specific questions
2: Okay, Jacobus, let's see what we got.
0: <laughs> love because God is love, God's love revealed, love because God has love. Okay, yeah, love because God is love, love because God has loved. God's love revealed. Reason to love. God is love. Love is from God. That's good. It's revealed in Christ. Good. Love because God has love. God still loves us. Okay. I think, yeah, that makes perfect sense, my friend. Love because God is love and love because God has love. And this is God's love revealed. I wonder... hmm what's what's the difference between god's love okay yep this so this is a command okay yeah yep so this is the indicative and this is the imperative yeah yep i see what you're doing i like that i think that's really good man
1: but like god abides in us and no one has ever seen god in the same thing like where god's love was revealed in Christ now God's love is revealed in
2: us. So- yes.
0: Yes. Yeah. I like I and I think that if you go along those themes that's great. God's love revealed in Christ, God's love revealed in us. That that I think carries the weight of the text very well. It, it, it helps us see the significance of our love, too, when you word it like that. Um, but yeah, I think you're thinking along the right lines there. That's good. A- any questions for me on that? Any specific questions?
1: No, I just say thanks for having us do this. I didn't see those connections till I lined them all up.
0: Yeah, for sure. Okay, so fine. So humble yourself there, everybody. Uh, so that, good. With the proper time, he may exalt you. Okay, so this casting, though, so, so what you have here is, what how I'm reading this is, so that you're going to humble yourselves under God's mighty hand, so at the proper time, one, he may exalt you, and two, casting all your anxieties on him. I, I think this actually goes all the way back to the left. So the first command is humble yourselves. Or it might even be an expression of humbling yourselves as casting. So humble yourselves and then therefore is number one and then number two is casting. But, but this is, yeah, I don't think this isn't subordinate to the him at the proper time. If you bring this back to the left, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And then be sober minded and watchful. I think that goes back to the left as well. So those are your commands. So your commands are humble yourself, cast your anxieties, and be sober. Um, Does that make sense what I'm saying there? So here, let me. What's your text, Faisal?
1: Second Peter. First Peter chapter five.
0: Okay. What verses? Six to ten. Six to twelve? Ten. Okay. Six 11. to ten. Okay, so we got, hum- so the first command is humble yourselves, therefore. And we can say under the mighty hand of God for the purpose so that he may exalt you. And then we can say an expression of humbling yourselves is casting on your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Then we have two commands: be sober-minded, be watchful. And the reason is your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. And so we must resist him. How? By being firm in faith and knowing the same kind of suffering you're experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world.
2: And after you have suffered a little while,
0: the God of all grace, who has called you to do his eternal glory in Christ, will reveal, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You probably have that. Let me see. Yep, so you have that. So I do think this knowing the same kinds of suffering, we can look this up in the original too, the knowing the same kinds of suffering I think has to do with resisting the devil most likely. Um, let me pull this up in the original.
2: Was it first Peter five?
0: Five, six through ten. Oh, you give me Peter. Peter's hard Greek. What verse is it?
2: Verse
0: nine. Yeah. Yeah, so um that yeah, that's right. So so we resist one of the ways we resist the devil. I think is what he's saying. One of the ways we resist the devil is knowing that the same kind of sufferings we're experiencing are being experienced by your brothers throughout the world. We resist him one firm in faith, and we resist him two because we know that others experience the same kind of suffering as us. I think is what the text is saying. Um, let's see. Yeah, you have this right. He will restore, confirm, establish you. The him be up, and this is a doxology at the end, so that's right. Yeah, so, yeah, I would bring the sober-minded over, the casting over, and then connect this to the resist him firm in faith. Does that make sense why, why we're doing that? Yeah. Yeah. And this, you can also read some commentaries as well, and they'll help you understand how those ideas connect. Um, but yeah, I think, I think you've got a lot of the right ideas down. Just keep working at it. Read some more commentaries. Um, yeah, go ahead. I divide
3: the two books because these things are the, the first, uh, the red one. is The thing that he made, he do uh, for us in this, world it and the second one he will do that in heaven
0: well i yep i get that and i think i think you're right i think you're right about the care of christ here but this knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world that that's not about heaven and uh the original the the Greek definitely supports this being subordinate to the resisting, I think. Just upon initial look at it. Again, I haven't studied this in depth. I'm just looking at it initially. I think that what it's saying is we resist him, one, by being firm in our faith, and two, we resist him by knowing that our suffering is not unique to us. We resist the devil by knowing that He's doing the same things. We're we're not alone in this fight. He's doing the same things to our other brothers throughout the world. And then, that's right, after you suffer for a little while, his care and concern for you will cause him to receive you into eternal glory where they'll never be suffering again. I think you're exactly right. Those are the two, two things. So suffering, how Christ cares for us, or how Christ cares for suffering believers now, and how Christ will care for suffering believers for eternity. I think that's the point. So your impulse there is good, I think. Let's see. Yesocor, the sealed scroll. He's got an emoji here. That's fantastic. The sealed scroll. <laughs> The lion, lamb.
1: What?
0: So, why did you put the elder saying weep no more in the first part and not the second part? Just out of curiosity. If you're talking, I can't hear you, my friend. I'm sorry. I wish I could.
1: James, could you turn the mic? Uh, I think those uh, successive boys success they seem different and the cities are different. That's why I put them...
0: Uh, okay. Yeah, because here he looks between the throne. Here he's still... Okay, I see what you're saying. Here he's still kind of... He hasn't looked yet. Here he looks and sees the lion, the lamb-lion king. Good. That makes sense. Um... I guess my other question, I mean, along with that, is the what it looks like you divided the sentence here. So the quote, the worship quote starts with the worthy. Um I wouldn't I think I would naturally put this under the worship. So why did you why'd you do it like that? Um,
2: I have no idea for that, but okay.
0: You're good. No, you're good. Yeah. I, I think I think you're right. Yeah. So there's the sealed scroll, the revelation of the lion, the lamb lion, um, the lion king, right, it's the lion king, and then worship. I think that's good. I think work to, work to figure out how to subordinate some of those ideas more. Um, so like you could say between the throne, uh, then divide here, and, and the four living creatures divide again, and the elders. And I saw the lamb standing. How is he standing? As though he had been slain. So that, that describes how he's standing. So once you see that, right, you, I, I think that if you push yourself like that, you start to see some more to it. Because how can you stand as though you've been slain? If you've been slain, you're not standing. I've never seen anything standing that's been slain. If, you're, if you've been slain, you're laying down on the ground. So once you once you understand more, you start to see the irony of it. You start to see what's being said here. So he's standing as though he's been slain, um, and with seven horns and with seven eyes. But I think if you, I think you have your main divisions down. So that's great. Three successive stories in the chapter that led me to the structure. Yep, I think you've got the structure, my friend. Well done. Any questions for
2: me? Josh. Yes.
1: Uh, my preaching, so when when I uh, write my draft of the uh, manuscript, do I, do I have to go through all the symbolic, uh, sim- uh, symbolic words?
0: Good question. Um, my short answer is no. My short answer is no. And tomorrow we'll talk about explanation. Um, so in, in short, the, the purpose of the sermon is to serve the pastoral needs of the church. And the propo- what your proposition does is it tells you what is important and what's not in the text for serving the pastoral needs of the church. So if I, I forget what your proposition was, something about like because Jesus is exalt- the exalted king he deserves our highest praise. It was something like that, right? So I would just exegete the text to prove that point. And in as much as you prove that point, you're you're good to go. So you don't need to necessarily hit everything. Yeah, good question. Well, we'll talk more about that tomorrow and, and we can get into that. Brian, the grace of God, it's the grace that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It has appeared for the purpose of teaching us that deny good. We should live soberly present usual age
2: looking for blessed hope. Let me pull this in.
0: Blessed hope equals the glorious calling. Yep. Who gave? Yep. He might redeem and purify. Yep. People who are zealous could speak these things, exhort, rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. What did you what did you mean by this so this is more indented than, than this?
3: Uh, can you hear me?
0: Yeah
3: I, I also wasn't sure but the fact that it's a participle mm-hmm. I thought it was modifying you know the, the fact that we should live soberly because I'm seeing like several participles there okay
0: mm-hmm.
3: the first participle teaching us, I think modifies the appeared Mm -hmm. Uh, and then now the main verb there is we should live soberly, righteously and godly in the present age and then now denying ungodliness I think modifies that and then also looking for also modifies that I think.
0: Yeah, just just an. Oh, go ahead.
3: Yeah, so I wasn't very sure about the relation the relationship with all those participles, but that's I think that was my understanding of how they relate to each other.
2: Yeah,
0: I think yeah, I think you've got it. Now, is this is this your whole text or no?
3: Yeah, that's the whole thing. Okay, but I'm using the New King James. I okay. Think. I don't know if the ESV is very different.
2: No, I don't think so.
3: I think in the ESV, the bringing salvation, uh-huh. worded differently from the New King James. So I was trying to check uh-huh. if you can confirm, but
2: Yes.
0: Grace of God is up here. Bring salvation for all people. One, it brings salvation. into two, yeah, training us. Okay. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live
2: self-control.
0: We should live self control and godly in the present age. Waiting. I think you've got it, my friend. Yeah, the main idea is the grace of God has appeared. Everything else um, is subordinate to that. Um, it looks like just looking at it in the in the Greek, the only other indicative that I see is the giving. Um, but that, yeah, that's not significant in your structure. I th- I think you've got it. Okay. Yep. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, well done. <laughs> Let's see what you got.
3: I'm sorry, it's not that much clear.
0: We can all, we all do it our own way, right? Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you for the purpose of testing you. Do not be surprised as though something, good, Yep, that's exactly right. Do not be surprised, one, at the fiery trial, and do not be surprised, two, as if it were strange. Contrast that, but rejoice as you share in Christ's suffering. Yep. Yeah. That you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. This, I think this, this might be modifying the suffering. Rejoice that, yeah, I don't think he's saying rejoice so that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory uh, my initial thought is that it has to do with the suffering, but you can read commentaries on that. Um, it's interesting that you put it like that. But my initial thought is you rejoice as you share in Christ's suffering so that you may also be...
3: My note, uh, uh maybe the second uh, rejoice is for the future, but the first one is...
0: Yes, it is. Yeah, but it, it is for the future. But yeah, I think I think we rejoice... As we share in Christ's suffering for the purpose of us rejoicing when he's revealed. So we don't rejoice. We we don't rejoice so that we will rejoice. We rejoice as we share in Christ's suffering. And as we share in Christ's suffering, we know that we will rejoice, I think is what it's saying. Well, you can read more commentaries on that. You're right about present rejoicing, future rejoicing, though. I think that's exactly right. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because yep. Whenever you suffer as a murderer, a thief, you, yep, that's exactly right. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let her not be ashamed. Instead, good yep, that's a contrast. For some judgment to begin the household of God, and who begins this gospel will be the outcome for those who have obeyed the gospel of God? Otherwise, just scarcely so say this is this is going to be your hardest part to explain right here. So. But I think I think that's fine. Therefore, yep. Yeah, so you've brought the you, good job. You label this as the conclusion. You have brought it all the way back to the left, right? Because it's the concluding concluding thought. Therefore, let those who suffer, how according to the will of God, entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. Good, my friend. I think I think you've got the flow of the text. I think you understand what the main ideas are. I think you've blocked it off well. Good. Good work.
3: Good the last time you suggested me that there like he differentiates between the christian suffering and the non-christian suffering
0: yes so here he's saying don't suffer this way right suffer instead as a a christian so don't don't suffer because you did something if you suffer because you did something wrong like that's not no one's no one's gonna say like good job or you're sharing you don't share in christ suffering if you suffer because you did wrong you share in christ suffering if you suffer um innocently i think that's what he's saying thank you yeah yeah thank you my friend good work does anyone else have an outline you want to look at or any questions at all
2: Could I ask
1: okay. a
0: question? Oh, yeah, what's up?
1: Uh, since you just learned the errors, could you look up First John 4, 7, and 8?
0: Yeah, what do you want to know?
1: So I'm wondering why it's, or if it's significant. I don't really understand the errors that well. So it seems yeah, like-
0: w- welcome to the club. Uh, Walk- <laughs> Sorry, go ahead
1: seems like he's saying all the loving ones are knowing God. That's right, yeah. Um, it's in it present, but then it says all the ones that don't uh, love God, and then it's an heiress. And I just, is that significant? And if so, what does it mean?
0: And born of God. And there's, there's actually a lot of articles written about how John uses the present tense. Um, and they're, they're a bit, they're kind of escaping me right now. Um, but I, I think in short, John uses the present tense to communicate, uh, a continuous action throughout the Christian's life. So I think you could say the one who is the ones, the ones who are loving God or the one who is loving God, uh, is knowing God. He's in this state of knowing God. And here it's the one who, oh, come on. Yeah. I think, I think, I think that this is the significance, the one who is not loving and this is viewing it as a complete action. They they've never known him. They've never known him. Like it, this this is the, the, the continuous idea of continually knowing, like I'm, I'm in a constant state of knowing getting to know better continuing to know in the relationship this is viewing the action without as a complete whole not as a completed but a complete whole they've they've never known never even begun never begun to know god never finished knowing god they have never even started i think that's what it's saying it's not that they started knowing god and then they stopped is that it never like never even started kind of thing i think is what it means okay so we've talked about the exegetical outline so the the exegetical outline is for the purpose of making textual (laughs) observations textual notes so that we can understand the text more uh the textual outline shows us the structure of the text helps us understand the main arguments of the text helps us understand the way the, the thoughts are connected in the mind of the author so we're not just looking at bunch of random words we're looking at how those words are put together so we're not just doing devotional ideas based upon words like justification and peace and reconciliation we find the text but we're we're writing sermons that are based upon the structure of the text itself so we we move on from there once we've understood the exegetical outline we move on from there to the homiletical outline. So while, while the exegetical outline serves to demonstrate the development of the text, the homiletical outline serves to show the the development of the sermon. Now it it can be it can be uh, the same flow of development from text to sermon. So in some ways, once you've understood the development of the text, you've You've really understood the development of your sermon, at least the exegetical development. Though though it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. And um, we'll we'll look at different options for what this will look like. But if we consider the different parts of the homiletical outline, the components of a homiletical outline. it's going to have it's going to have ma- some main parts. Number one, um, if, this is as we consider the entire structure of the sermon. Number one, the prop package, which we already talked about, right? What the prop package is, and I'll say a, we could say it like this: a modified, a modified prop package. So if the prop package includes your big idea, your FCF, your IRE, your proposition. Um, Certainly you can include all of that in your sermon, though though you don't have to. Um, Most definitely the proposition should be included in your sermon, but the rest of it uh, wouldn't wouldn't necessarily need to be at the forefront. Um, After your prop prop package, with, with especially your proposition, at the forefront, you move then from the interrogate to an interrogative. So an interrogative asks a question like why, how, to what extent? It asks a question and specifically it asks a question of your proposition, right? So, so if, if your proposition would be something like from Ephesians one, your proposition was something like, "We, because God has blessed us in Christ, we can worship God in all circumstances. That's your proposition. Because God has blessed us in Christ, we can worship God in in all circumstances. We might then ask the question, how has God blessed us in Christ? Or in what ways has God blessed us in Christ? So that that interrogative serves then to, to highlight our main points. Well, number one, he chose us. Number two, he redeemed us. Number three, he sealed us. You see that that interrogative serves as a as a transition statement from the prop package to the main points, and, and in that sense, the interrogative serves to transition you natu- very naturally out of your um, out of your introduction into the body of your sermon. Three, um, after your interrogative, as we alluded to, is your main points. So these are going to be the, the main structural developments of your sermon. And number four, I'd say optional sub points. So this is, this is your homiletical outline. So it's different. Your, while your exegetical outline demonstrates the development of the, of the text, your homiletical outline shows the development of the sermon. So once again, we're moving, we're moving from exegesis to sermon writing to sermon crafting now. That's what we're doing here. Now, there's, there's different ways you can structure your homiletical outline. And these are these are formal ways of doing it, there are informal ways that will come soon we just we need to learn the rules first before we can learn the exceptions to the rules, so the the two main ways are deductive. And an inductive. deductive outlines and inductive outlines okay. So uh, this is how the flow, this is the flow of a deductive outline. A deductive outline says your prop, it gives your prop, followed by an interrogative, followed by main point one, main point two, main point three, or however many main points you have. So it gives your prop, it gives your question and then it shows how your main points answer the question that's what it, that's what a, a deductive outline does An and inductive, on the other hand, starts with the interrogative, but it doesn't give you the proposition. It just asks the question so in, in these kinds of sermons your your introduction would would lay the foundation for asking a question of the text um but but it doesn't give the answer, and then your main points, your main points begin to allude to the answer, and they build together to form your proposition. So where whereas a deductive outline, it tells you everything up front, your proposition and your interrogative. The inductive outline asks the question and then begins to answer it with the main points and then states your proposition at the ending. So it kind of saves, it saves the answer to the question until the very end. Um, so, so, an, so an example of that, um, if we go to, An example of that might be if we if we preach a sermon from Ruth 1, for instance.
2: Oh, this is my NA28, that's why.
0: So if we if we preach a sermon in this, I think that this method especially works well with narrative texts. It kind of holds the suspense of the narrative. It If we would preach from Ruth one, I think the natural question that we come away with is, is this, Naomi says that God has treated her bitterly. God has taken her pleasant life circumstances and made them bitter. And I think the natural question is, is Naomi right? Does God ever treat his people harshly and cruelly? does God ever mean to his people or succinctly um, does God ever work for his people's destruction and not for their good? Does God ever work for his people's destruction and not for their good? And you can ask that question at the beginning and then slowly develop your argument. And then only at the end of the sermon reveal the answer. And, and what that does is it, it it serves to hold people in suspense through your sermon. Does that make sense? Those two formal structure types. So there's, there's one more and I'm a, I'm a bit of a sucker for this one myself. And this is a more, this is more advanced, but it's called an inductive
1: deductive,
0: de- deductive.
2: Oh, um.
0: and an inductive deductive sermon. Well done, Abie. Well done. So, so in, in an inductive de- deductive sermon, there's, there's a few different ways to structure it. But like an inductive sermon, you start with with an interrogative, um, and and usually there's maybe a main point one, main point two, main point three, and then you have your prop. So then you give your proposition, but then that that proposition leads to an a second interrogative. And then based off of that second interrogative, you would have main point 1, main point 2, main point 3, and then you would have a more complete proposition. called prop 2. So so it's it's like so if you want to say it like this it this all funnels to the prop and then out of the prop it funnels again to to almost a second sermon of types like a, um
1: all kinds
0: of like like a what
1: like a russian doll sermon
0: yeah yeah the russian doll sermon maybe maybe you could call it like that um so i find that this is especially helpful in an old testament text when you want to um when you want to go through the text maybe once asking a question you get an answer and then you move maybe to a new testament reality or new testament view of the text then you you go through it again and you you preach it uh, preach the text in light of christ and then you give a second prop so um, for an example of this, look at Leviticus 10, one through three. So I, I preached a sermon on this text a few months back, maybe a year ago. Um, and no, less than a year ago, maybe like 10 months ago, uh, about Nadab and Abihu and the unauthorized fire. Right. Um, and my, my interrogative was how must God's people approach him? how must God's people approach him was what I was asking. And I, I walked through the text and my prop that I gave was God's people must approach God his way. And so I was arguing that the reason Nadab and Abihu died was they trusted in their sacrifice and not the sacrifice God provided. Then, um, if I remember correctly... I think I I simply asked a question like, what does this mean for us? Which is kind of an applicational question. And then I, I walked through the text again and I gave my kind of complete prop because God has provided the greatest sacrifice in his son. We must approach God only through the sacrifice of Christ. So then the second time I walked through the text, I was walking through showing that we, like Nadab and Abihu, tend to, to come to God with our own sacrifices, the, the things that we think are presentable to God. Um, and, and if we do... We'll find that, that on the last day, there's judgment waiting for us, just like there was for Nadab and Abihu. But, but God offers the sacrifice of Christ and all those who trust only in that and not their own ingenuity when, when coming to God um, will find a refuge in God. We'll find the presence of God uh, on the last day and, just, and, and calling, calling us away from legalism calling us towards trusting in Christ in him alone so and this is this is a much more complicated sermon structure I wouldn't if this is your first sermon especially I, I probably wouldn't recommend doing it like this you can work with me on it for sure but uh, I'm i I really enjoy uh, especially in Old Testament going with that kind of structure so th- those are the three formal structures and we'll look we'll look more into this later and then some other informal options but yeah a b
1: does it help to give like an Old Testament and a New Testament application, if we can use this approach? Because I think you first went to the like the, the <clears throat> first readers, uh, what they should understand from it, which is they should approach as he presented, and then second uh, prep, prop statement was more gospel-centered and more, applic- the application is more for the church, so does that help
0: yeah yeah i think i think this sermon structure especially lends itself towards preaching christ in the old testament i i think this kind of sermon structure is very helpful when trying to preach christ in the old testament you do the interrogative you walk through it you get you kind of the principle of the text and then you transition with with some kind of interrogative like what does it mean for us right the good for them right i just explained the text, I explained even the timeless, we call it maybe the t- timeless truth from the text, but we haven't, we haven't gotten any gospel yet. We have a, we have a problem. We have a solution, but what does it mean for us? Right. And, and that leads me to parallel, parallel main points. Um, and these can even be more applicational main points too. So whereas, whereas these, this one might be more, more focused on the story itself. This one might be more focused on us and our own tendencies. Um, climaxing in what God has done in Christ. Yeah, good. Um, So just have those in mind and think through, you know, what, which of these you think would best fit what I'm trying to do with my sermon, my own personality, even, are you a guy who, who would rather everything be clear right from the beginning? Would you rather there be a little bit of suspense? Would you rather do something more like this and there's a lot there's other types of sermon outlines but these would be like the main three that i would that i would have in my tool belt and ask so when it, when it comes to these formal outlines though there's there's some introductory thoughts before we dive more deeply into crafting these um there's there's certainly dangers there's certainly dangers of of formal structures like this um, what what are what are some dangers do you think of of structuring a sermon along these kinds of lines
1: trusting the the format
2: yeah
0: or, or thinking like thinking that if i if i have the formula down i've done my job right if i've if I fit my sermon into this kind of formula, then I've done it right. Yeah, I think so. What are some other dangers?
1: Instead of seeing how many points are in the text, we might just say, well, let's find my three points.
0: Yeah, so forcing structure onto the text. I think that's especially true of like non-epistles. A lot of times for epistles, it can be easy to see the main, the main points in there, but when you get to like narrative or poetry. A lot of times it can be artificial, it can force structure onto the text. Any other ideas of some dangers. I I think that one of them, one that's very common. um. So if you've read your your uh chapter from Dr. Chapel's book, and again, I, I assign this to you because I think he's a good book. I don't mean I don't mean to to say that he's not good when I when we critique or when we um say something different than what he says. I, I think that he's a great foundation, but I, I do think that some of it we can can once we learn from it, we can kind of build off of it. But I think I do think it can tend to confuse law and gospel i think it can tend to confuse law and gospel what i mean by that is he encourages you to to that each each main point would have both a truth claim and an an applicational point have both a truth claim and an applicational point which is fine for a lot of texts but there are some texts that don't have and when i say applicational point i mean something to do um some texts don't have explicit calls to obedience some texts instead simply call us to behold god right to, to see this is the character of god and um and as we behold him we're transformed from one degree of glory to another they, they don't and forcing law onto a text that doesn't have any explicit commands for for instance um like Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. So you could, you could structure main points here. I, I think you should. Um, but since there's no, there's no commands in the text to word your main points as if there were commands, I think is a, is an unfaithful, a, a way that it would be unfaithful to the text. But certainly the, the text has, has an intended redemptive effect but that intended redemptive effect doesn't necessarily call us to do something, since the text itself doesn't call us to do something. Um, I think. I think also it can, so let's see, confusing law and gospel. And I think. I think it can feel archaic. It, it can feel maybe it was it, this was something for a previous generation, but I, I think our generation is more interested in authentic dialogue than in formal dialogue. And there are times that that formal dialogue and formal structure can be a turnoff versus more authentic structure and authentic dialogue. at um, least that that's my observation. Maybe that's not true. That's what I that's what I experienced and I think that other people experience it too when when you say now first firstly secondly thirdly and it be almost your structure becomes um you're too aware of the structure and it feels too formal um, but the, there are there are certainly benefits though there are, I i don't want to say i don't want to discourage us from using these kinds of structures in fact i use them in my own preaching a lot i use modified versions of them um, but what are, what, if we talked about dangers, what are some benefits of, of these kinds of formal st- outline structures? What's that? Clear to Clear, yeah. Yeah, clear to understand. Good. What else? Yeah, easy to memorize. I think that's true.
2: What else?
3: easy to follow progression
0: mm-hmm. yeah i think that's true i think i think one benefit is this, it's time tested like like people have been preaching this way for a couple of generations now this is not a new way of of preaching um and certainly, certainly, I do think that we should learn from the rules before we we go to exceptions. I think I think we should learn from this. But I, I do think that faithfully communicating to God's people of every generation means we we ask what's the most effective effective way of communicating to them. Um, I uh, I I think I think that even if even if we don't necessarily formally state our main points, um, like people of our parents' generation might have, um, it is helpful, I think, to, to at least have them in our minds, even if we don't state them clearly. So let's talk about main points then. Talk about main points. So what's, what's the purpose, the purpose of the main points? The purpose is it it provides a skeleton for your sermon, the development of your sermon. The main points serve as a skeleton for the development of your sermon. It shows us the progression of your sermon. It shows us where we're at in the sermon, and it and everything hangs on those main points, right? It, it helps us. Um, it helps us make sure that our sermon develops. So we don't just say random thoughts that have to do with our proposition, but we actually build towards something. Well, we're actually arguing for something. We're, we're actually trying to persuade people of something instead of simply uh, saying the same thing over and over and over again. Um so then creating the main points, how do we how do we create them? I think as much as possible, they should reflect. The structure of of the text. It should reflect the structure of the text now and which is why we did our exegetical outline now I do think that in some in some genres. um, It's it's less clear um, and maybe less helpful. uh, To to use these kind of formal outlines to structure the sermon in fact like thematic arrangements can be more helpful and we'll get to those more later um but i think as much as possible we should try to have it stick to the structure of the text any questions on that
1: when you say structure josh are you yeah like we do verse one then verse two we don't yeah
0: that. so what I, what i mean by that is for instance um you know, he chose us, Point main point one, he chose us. And then we talk about the choosing, right? Main point two, he redeemed us. And we talk about the redeeming. Main point three, he sealed us. And then we talk about the sealing. Or you know, here, we might have, we're going to have two main points, right? The negative command, don't be like the Gentiles. The positive command remember what you were taught in christ something like that right but uh but it should kind of follow that flow that's what i mean by that
2: Mm -hmm. what's that
0: for a story yeah we'll get to that yeah this fits well with epistles especially but not as much with stories um, I, I don't think they necessarily follow uh, follow the structure of stories as well. But that's a it's a very good question. Oh, do that. Okay, so what what makes good main points then? So I want you to talk in your group. You've heard good sermons. You've heard bad sermons. I want you to think in your group. When you've heard good sermons with good main points, what's made them good? When you've heard sermons with bad main points, what's made them bad? Talk about that in your group real quick.
2: Oh. Okay,
0: so, so when you've heard sermons before, what, what's made, we'll start with what's made, what, what makes for bad main points. What are some bad examples you've heard? Yeah, A B.
1: When they're not relevant, they're not uh addressing an issue that is within the church
0: okay yeah not relevant to the church what's an example of that
1: um like you said be like to they're preaching to like a single students uh and they're preaching about you know uh, marriage or how to raise a family and whatnot
0: yes yeah exactly yeah and you think this isn't for me. I don't know who, I don't know who this is for, but it's not for me. and I don't think it's for anyone in this room either. <laughs> yeah. Good. Along with that, this is a side note, right? When you in the age of recording sermons and posting them online, don't fall into the, into the temptation of thinking that you're preaching to the people behind the camera or on YouTube you're preaching to the people in your audience. And, and if you record them, and put them online. No, that's that's a that's a secondary audience that you're not that you're not preaching to. God God has called you to to shepherd the flock of God that's among you. I've I've heard I've heard sermons before where I'm sitting there and I'm listening to the sermon and I hear an application point and I think I don't think that what he just said is for anyone in this room. I think he's very aware that there are people watching online and he's preaching to them right now and not to anyone in his church. Uh, anyway. That's a that's a kind of a bit of a pet peeve is when people preach to the camera and not to the people in front of them.
1: I've been to churches where I'm one of the congregants, but I feel left out in the fact that they're speaking one straight into the camera and two they're just communicating through to the media and not to the conversation.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think so.
1: Bad showbiz, like her show kind of Yes. Yeah.
0: Good. So, what else? What else is made for not not compelling, not helpful main points? If it's wordy, yeah. No, thank you. Yeah, wordy or unclear. Good. Maybe one or two more.
1: I'm thinking if it's structured like a logical syllogism like you have to really remember the exact wording of the first point and it all fits together
0: intricately and complex yes yeah i think this is kind of like a subset of unclear um this is this is the the principle preaching is public speaking not writing People are hearing your sermons and not reading your sermons, which means they can't go back and, and read a paragraph again. They can't remind themselves of what the main arguments are. They can't highlight and underline. Uh, they hear it once and that's it. They hear, they hear what you say once and that's it. And if they can't follow it the first time, um then then you're, we're not serving them. We're not we're not aware of that. We're we're not writing, we're we're speaking. So then um What makes for good main points? Uh, And again, Jeff Perswell is very helpful in me developing this. Number one, appropriately drawn from the text appropriately drawn from the text so that the number of main points should reflect the text. Right. The number of the main points should reflect the text. So so each main point comes from the text we're preaching and can be demonstrated from the text. So we say um, using our Ephesians example. Right? If, because God has blessed us in Christ, or God blessing us in Christ should elicit our, our, our worship, right? Because God has blessed us in Christ, we, we can worship him in all circumstances. And how, how, has God blessed us in Christ? Well, number one, God has chosen us. Look with me in your Bibles at verse four. And then we, we can immediately turn people to their Bibles, the place where the authority rests, so that we can demonstrate the main points from the text, they're clearly derived from the text. We're not imposing them on the text. Now, this would be for an exegetical outline. You can have different types of outlines. If you have an applicational outline, for instance, um, you can you can show from the text where you're getting your idea, but then, um, but then maybe uh, preach more um, preach more of things that are implied from the text. And that's especially helpful in in narrative, or if you're doing like an inductive deductive, you you, you could do this as kind of the structure of the text. And this is more applicational main points, for instance. We'll talk more about that in in a moment, but appropriately drawn from the text. So what that means is main points are not cross-references. Main points are not cross-references. Main points aren't illustrations. Main points aren't applications. Main points are drawn from the text itself. What so we don't say is main point one comes from my text main point two comes from a different text and main point three I go back to my text again you know that they all come from the text, or I don't say main point one is you know, Christ is king over everything main point two is you must submit to a main point three is um, kings kings deserve all praise that's no that. The main points are drawn from the text they 're not illustrations they 're not applications number two they 're simple they They communicate single ideas they 're not unnecessarily long they 're like road signs that's what that means they're like road signs they don't point to themselves they point to where we're going they point to the destination they're they, roads road signs tell you where you are and where you're going. Right. Yes. Uh,
3: when you say appro- appropriately drawn from the text. Mm-hmm. So uh, you, you're, not, you're not saying appropriately
0: drawn from the proposition aspect? We're getting to that. So so um, they should be subordinate to the proposition and we're getting and we're getting there. So they should be drawn from the text, but they should also derive from the proposition or be subordinate to the proposition. Yes. We're and we're getting there. Good question, though. Um, but by going back to the road sign example, it, it, a, a good road sign tells you where you're going, how to get there, how much longer you have until you get there. They don't serve to highlight themselves. So we're, we're pointing people to the proposition. We're, we're trying to drive to the proposition. We're trying to get there. And our main points argue for the proposition, help us get to the proposition. They, they don't serve as an end zone themselves. Um, so number three, they, they're subordinate to the proposition. And th- this is what Yusukor is just alluding to. They, um, are not alluding to, but, but referencing or asking about, they, they seek to derive their purpose from the proposition and argue for the proposition so so we when when they all are together the proposition makes more sense or they the proposition is further explained because remember the the purpose of the proposition is that the text might serve the pastoral need of the church so then the main points as we're exegeting the text. We're we're exegeting the text. We're also exegeting the proposition as well. The proposition limits my focus in the text. I could talk about all kinds of things in the text. So yes, of course, text, for example, you could talk all day long about what's the seal. Well, it's the first of the seven seals. What are the seven seals and what do they do? Okay, great. Great. I mean, we could talk about that all day long. We could talk about what does it mean that the, the sea is like sapphire? What does it mean There's a throne. What are the 12 elders? Okay. Sure, sure. We can talk about all that. But if my proposition is the exalted king deserves my praise. Okay. Now now that limits my focus. That limits my attention. Where do I see Jesus as the king in the text? Where do I see my need to praise him in the text? I, I don't need to talk necessarily at length about if the 24 elders are the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. Right? We don't, maybe we can mention that, but, but, but if we mention it, it's only for the purpose of proving and illustrating and concluding with the proposition. We don't just mention a bunch of random facts. Our, our, should, um, our main points should be subordinate to the proposition. They, main, points then, main points don't add new ideas to the sermon.
1: My question was, uh, so, uh, if, if, it's, uh, if it's subordinate to the preposition or uh, main points, the title, do, do we have to find uh, the exact word in our proposition when we uh, give titles to, to
2: to main points?
0: Yeah, I think we can. We can, but I don't think we have to. We can, but I don't think we have to. And, and a lot of that depends on your genre. A lot of that depends on your own style. Um, yeah, so, so if you're arguing for, I, I don't remember exactly your proposition, but something like, because Jesus is king over everything, he deserves our highest praise. Something like that, right? Um, you, your main point one could be, jesus the king your main point too could be uh our response in worship right and, and that's and that's just fine I, I don't think you need to i i think i think it can be unnecessarily artificial to to derive to always derive the the wording for your main points from the proposition and i think that it can unnecessarily confuse law and gospel for instance your text ych doesn't doesn't have any commands in it that I can think of um, it's simply stating the realities that the uh, the slain lamb has become the risen um, the risen lion the conquering lion um and then our response. Is as we we see the elders respond, we join in them in responding the same way. But the co- the text doesn't command us to do that. And so when we when we unnecessarily put commands in our main points, I, I think that it's I think it's unhelpful. I think it can be unhelpful a lot of times.
1: I think the problem is big in the worship.
0: So what is it? The problem. Uh-huh. Uh huh. The big
1: tree in the
0: worship yeah yeah i think something like that is fine the problem the problem the picture is that what you said is the second one
1: The
0: the victory oh the problem the victory and the worship yeah or or you could say something like the king needed the king presented the king worshiped or the king praised if you want if you want to tie it more closely to your proposition but but what i don't think you need to do is because jesus is you know if your main if your main proposition is jesus having being king over everything you don't you don't need to say because jesus is king over this realm main point number one main point number two jesus is king over this realm. I, I that it's just artificial it's not drawn from the text but but you're following the structure of the text which i think is what What's, what's helpful? The point is that they're, they're, it's arguing for the proposition. Now, I do think it's helpful to, to use wording from the, the proposition in your main point. So that's why I said the king needed, the king presented, the king praised. Um, yeah, I think, I think try to be as close in wording as possible or where appropriate. Next, uh, they're distinct and progressive they're distinct and progressive so so main points develop the sermon and so because of that they need to be unique we we don't we don't have main points that restate the proposition we don't have main points that restate each other they they're distinct and they are unique in that they argue for the proposition in a in a unique way so let me let me give you this example What's, what's wrong with this? So main proposition, because the gospel is good news for all men, we must always preach the gospel. Okay. That's the proposition. Main point one, we must, we should preach the gospel at all times. Main point two, we should preach the gospel to all people. Main point three, we should preach the gospel without discrimination. All those are true, but I think there's two problems with it. What are what are the problems? More, What's that?
1: They're a little redundant, and Aman uh, was saying they're the same.
0: Yeah. So what what in particular is redundant or makes it the same?
1: For me, main point two and three.
0: Yes. So all people, and without discrimination, right? Those are the same things. But I think at all times and always are the same also. Like the, the first main point in a sense restates the proposition. And then the second and third main point simply restate each other. Or the that is, without discrimination is just um, maybe a more succinct way of saying the main point, but or a different way of saying the main point. Here's another alternative. I think, I think this is better. Because the gospel is good news for all men, we must always preach the gospel. Number one, we must preach the gospel despite opposition. Number two, we must preach the gospel despite discouragement. Number three, we must preach the gospel until the end. Um, or here's another example. Because Christ is our faithful high priest, we can always draw near to God. Number one, we can draw near in our sin. Number two, we can draw near in our doubts. Number three, we can draw near in our discouragement. They're unique. They explain the main points. They they build on the main point. They build an argument. Does that make sense? Any questions on that? Part of this is just being a good thinker, right? And and understanding that what, what it means to, to think logically and, and in sequence. Uh, next is they, I think they should be as best we can. They they should be symmetrical. They should be symmetrical. And there's, there's more than one way to make it symmetrical. I I think that artificial ways of making it symmetrical, um, would be, you know, because, because, because Jesus commands believers to preach the gospel, we must preach the gospel at, at every opportunity. Right. Because Jesus commands believers to preach the gospel here. So you you can do it like this. They can be symmetrical like this. And it's not bad. It's not wrong. It can it just, I think it can come across artificial sometimes. So because Jesus commands believers to, to proclaim him boldly, we must proclaim Christ at every opportunity. Main point one, because Jesus commands believers to proclaim him boldly, we should proclaim Christ in difficult situations. Main point two, to different people. Um, main point three, despite our difficulties, something like that, right? They're parallel, they're symmetrical to one another. Um, but but they can be symmetrical in different ways. So they can be symmetrical in wording, but they can also be symmetrical in word count. So, so what we don't want is, you know, main point one, Jesus, died for sinners. Main point 2 um you know God's glory as seen in his salvation of sinners always demands a response. Okay, sure. That's true. But I it's, it's it can be unhelpful for people just listening. Right. This isn't like you're a bad Christian if you don't do this. Right. This is just like principles for what makes a sermon easy to listen to versus what makes a sermon difficult to listen to. Um so symmetrical and it can be symmetrical in wording, like symmetrical in, in word count. Um so let's let's look at a couple examples then. Of of how we could structure this, um, or
2: let me think for a second.
0: Let's let's look at let's look at one example. Um, Philippians two nineteen through twenty four. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How, as the son of the father, he has served with me in the gospel. I therefore hope to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Uh, I think, I think we can ask of this text. This is a sermon I preached um, several months ago. And I asked, I asked this question of the text, what is the heart of Christian service? Using Timothy as a, as a model, as an example, what is the heart of Christian service? Um, and I, I, my main point one was, we do it self-forgetful affections um and that was timothy being genuinely concerned for your welfare versus those who seek their own interests and not those of jesus christ so self-forgetful affections um then main point two was, was genuine affections um He's, he has a proven worth. You know what you're going to get with him. He's he's he has true affections uh, for people, and and lastly with enduring affections. So you you've seen his his how he's served with me. Because of that, I hope to send him soon to you. And so in in those three descriptions of the heart of christian service i then went to my prop the heart of christian service is to serve the church of jesus christ with the affections of jesus christ and i pointed out how these three things were seen of christ uh, in the preceding paragraph here um so and there's similar wording to between timothy and jesus christ as well so that'd be one example um, so while while we can do while we can do these kinds of structures, Emmanuel was hinting at this earlier. It's not always best for all genres. And I, I it can feel contrived sometimes when we present, when we present sermons like this that don't need to be presented like this. So if it's narrative or poetry, especially, um, I, I think it's helpful as we've seen before to have different scenes which kind of culminate in a single point um versus having um versus having uh you know main points that all are calling on us to do something uh so so one example look at mark 435 through 543 so what's what's going on in this text So it starts with Jesus calming the storm, right? Jesus calms the storm. It's a series of miracle stories. He calms the storm. He casts out a demon. Uh, He then heals Jairus's daughter. um, And then he resurrects. um, He heals a woman and then he resurrects Jairus's daughter, right? So that's that's what he does. Um, And I think the the theme of all of those it, it comes out of the parable of the mustard seed here so the kingdom starts as the smallest seed on earth but then it grows to become the greatest of all the trees um, and then out of that out of that picture we then have several miracle stories which prove christ's authority um so if we wanted to, if we wanted to develop main points, we, we could see it like this, Jesus authority over nature. All right. So in, in scene number one, we see that Jesus has authority over nature. He's able to calm the sea, but then it builds and in, in scene number two, we have Jesus authority over the spiritual realm. right so jesus authority over nature then jesus authority over spiritual realm as he casts out a demon then we have jesus authority over sickness as he heals the woman and then lastly we have jesus authority over death itself So you see i mean that as we see those scenes it naturally build so that so that when we when we understand then that we've started with the unlikely kingdom that you wouldn't expect that grows and expands, and we read that in comparison with these authority texts, I, th- I think that we can, we can have a prop maybe at the beginning or at the end that's something like this. Because Jesus has authority over all things, we can always be sure that his kingdom is unstoppable. Because Jesus has authority over all things, we can always be sure that his kingdom is unstoppable. So if you do it at the beginning, for instance, you can say, where do we see this? Well, first, we see this in Jesus has authority over nature. Because Christ has authority over nature, his kingdom is unstoppable. If he, can, if he can calm the storm, he can do anything to make his kingdom come. And then demonic opposition, sickness, and even death. Not even the greatest enemy of death can stop Christ. And because of that, we know that it, it can't stop his kingdom. So so in that, it's not a formal main point, meaning that you could do it like that. You could say, because Christ has authority over nature, we can be sure that his kingdom is unstoppable. Because Christ has authority over the spiritual realm, we can be sure that his kingdom is unstoppable. You could do it like that. It, It feels a little bit artificial to me, though. I'm not dogmatic about that, though. It's just how it comes across to me. Does that make sense what I was saying there? He does. Okay. Let's look, look also, let's look at Ephesians. Oh, there, so there's a few different, a few different outline types that I'd like to give you, I think, that are helpful in thinking through this. So number one is thematic outlines. Thematic outlines. Um, so for an example of that, let's look back at Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. So if our what what we have in this text is Paul's prayer and he has three three requests right he prays that the spirit would strengthen them he prays that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith he prays that they'd be filled with all the fullness of God and all of those are descriptions of the idea I think of knowing the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so so his prayer is that we would know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, that we have experiences of the love of Christ. Now we could walk through the text with main point one: the spirit would strengthen you so that you would know the love of Christ. Main point two, Christ would dwell in our hearts so that we would know the love of Christ. Main point three, be filled with all the fullness of God so that you would know the love of Christ. I, th- I think it just gets a little redundant at that point. I think it gets a little redundant it, it becomes it, it feels like okay we've already talked about this before so it's just some texts aren't meant to be preached that way and i think they're meant to be preached in a more thematic way um and so i i think this this text could be faithfully preached like this um this it's it's you who are rooted and grounded in love right you are already rooted and grounded in the love of Christ and so if we're talking about experiencing Christ's love not just knowing it but feeling it we could make we can make main point 1 so 314 through 19 main point 1 Jesus loves every member of his church fully and completely right Jesus loves every member of his church fully and completely. And I exegete, what does it mean to be rooted in love? What does it mean to be grounded in love? Because if I talk about experiences of the love of Christ, we need to first know that we are fully and completely loved by Christ. We're not, when, when we're talking about experiencing Christ's love, we're not, this isn't a prayer that Jesus would love us more. This is a prayer that we would know to the, the extent to which Christ already does love us. So we going start with that and then, then maybe move on from there. Main point two, something like, um god's desire is that we would feel that jesus loves us fully and completely so it, it builds on that first main point point. The, and, and then from there we can we can show what what does it mean for the spirit to strengthen us in the inner being what does it mean for Christ to dwell in our hearts? What does it mean to be filled with all the fullness of God? Well, this is all a prayer for an experience of Christ's deep love for us. Um, and you can move into application from there, probably. But but this, this would be an example of a text, I think, that doesn't call for a formal outline, more for a thematic outline. Um, another example of this, Song of Solomon, Song of Songs 8, Five through eight, I think, is an example of this. This is, I mean, I think this is true with most poetry. With most poetry, a thematic outline is, is far more appropriate, I think. So, who is that coming up from the wilderness, lean on her beloved? Under the apple tree, I awakened you. There, your mother was in labor with you. There, she who bore you was in labor. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arms. For love is strong as death, jealousy as fierce as the grave, its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. So I, I think a lot of times with, with a text like this, what, what you can do is first set, set the stage and just walk through the text. And, and in a way that's almost like a running commentary, explain what is this text even about? Because pe- I think most people hear, hear this and they say, I, I really don't know what is going on in this text what these things mean what's being said here so you can just kind of walk through what are the images that we see what's what's the point what what's the big idea of the text and that's more of what you're arguing for first and then you can go into different themes and walk through the text looking at those themes so when when i did this text i i start with one love is bigger than any couple love is love exists outside of our experience of it. Even if we don't experience love, love exists outside of us. So you see that in the mother who knows what it's like to be under the apple tree and who knows what it's like to give birth. We have, we have love that, um, is God himself. We have, we have love that can be someone tries to, to purchase, and all of that we see love is outside of us. Love is not something that exists only when we experience it. Love is a love is a universal constant, right? I think is what it's saying. And theme two, love calls for exclusive fidelity. So we see that as le- she is leaning on him. She calls him to set. Her is a seal upon his heart, a seal upon his arm, because love is jealous. It won't. It won't allow anyone to come in between the two people. And and uh, because of that, many waters cannot quench it. Nothing can come in between us. We are ex- we calls for exclusive fidelity. No one can come between the two of us. Um, and then theme number three love can be strengthened and preserved in suffering. And this is almost a a conclusion of these two, because love exists outside of us. And because love calls for exclusive fidelity, it can be strengthened and preserved in suffering. So then talking about the theme of the wilderness, talking about many waters, talking about um, how in response to this, she leans on him. She's flirtatious with him when she reminds him of the apple tree. Um, and, um, jealousy is as fierce as the grave is preserved. So then, then once you, you've walked through the text, you've explored the different themes of the text, you can can then ask, how, how can all this be true? And then you give your prop, um, because God is love. He alone is the source of enduring love. And that's when you go to, it's the very flame of the Lord himself. All this is true is because Love is the flame of God himself. God is love, and so He's the source of enduring love. So that, that calls us, then, in suffering and disappointments and discouragements to seek God. and then that points us ultimately to Christ, who is who loves us um, who loves us faithfully, who loves us exclusively. So that's a thematic outline um so you can explain the text walk through the text explore different themes of the text then make a kind of a propositional conclusion or or you can make a you know you could put your prop at the at the the beginning too if you want to and then show how that's the different themes work themselves out but especially in poetry this is helpful because poetry works to show different pictures in different ways right and so it's meant to be thought about from different angles does that make sense what i'm saying there with with the thematic outline
1: yeah, and when you said it's not a formal outline, does that mean you wouldn't say theme one?
0: No, I, I think you could. I guess I guess when I say it's not a formal outline, I mean you're you're not gonna find it like in I don't think you're gonna find that in a textbook. But I, I think a lot of times it makes sense when you go to different genres. It's not like a formal deductive or a formal inductive or a formal inductive deductive outline. Um, but I think, some, I think some genres and some texts just kind of call for this kind of outline. Yeah, good question. Uh, n- number two, contrasting. Contrasting outlines or contrasting main points. So example of this, Psalm 1. talking about the blessed man who who doesn't walk in the way of the wicked delights in the law of the lord describes him as prosperous and then we get then we get to the wicked right so we have number one the righteous number two the wicked and the wicked i mean they're barely even mentioned i mean it's one verse that's it the righteous on one hand the wicked on the other they're 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 like the chaff the wind drives them away and that's that's all the time the wicked get, you know. They they don't get much time in the text, and they don't get much time in my sermon. And that and that proves a point. Right. They contrast the the wicked with the righteous, um, and and I think I think our sermon can just be structured simply around that structure of the text to honor the integrity of the text, the development of the text. We we don't need to contrive some kind of main point that says. Number one, because because the blessed man, um, what? Because because the Lord knows the way of the blessed. Because the Lord prospers the blessed man. Number one, the ble- we must not listen to the advice of the wicked. Number two, because God blesses the blessed man, we must delight in God's law. Well, sure, sure those things are true, but I I think it's a little bit more natural to just again just walk through the flow of the text and describe the blessed man the blessed man number 1 he it's not it's not it's it's more descriptive it's more descriptive it's it's not explicitly prescriptive and i think our text should honor that does that does that make sense that example so another example habakkuk 2 12 through 14 woe to those who build a town with blood and found a city with iniquity behold is it not from the lord of hosts that the is labor merely for fire and the nations wear themselves for nothing so so in this text we have I think we could say the kingdom of man. The way the kingdom of man builds in this world is foundationally selfish it, it, it builds on the blood and backs of others it builds with blood and, and iniquity it doesn't care for the lives of others. It, it builds in a way that seeks to make a name for itself on the earth. But the Lord will make sure that, that it ends in nothing. It, like Their nation will just become fuel for the fire one day. So that's, that's number one, the city of man, the kingdom of man. Number two, this, the city of God, the kingdom of God. You know, that's the enduring kingdom. That's the one that will last forever. That's the one that's going to fill the earth. Not The kingdom of man may try to fill the earth but only God's kingdom is going to fill the earth. And if that's true, it's worth worth laboring for. It's worth fighting for. It's worth showing all of our allegiance to it. Uh, Just just contrasting ideas. Number one, the wicked. Number two, the righteous. You'll see this throughout scripture too. Um, I think Luke 15 with the, the prodigal son, you can you can divide it up you know the son who was far away far away in his body and in his heart the son who was far away in his heart but close in his body something like that you know that that's the point is is comparing and contrasting the two sons um ask emmanuel how to how to preach that text he has a great he has great ideas for that already i think so listen to him on that Mm -hmm. um Yeah, was there a question? Okay, number three, um, I think story slash interpretation slash application. And just following this flow. So main point one is story, main point two is interpretation, main point three is application. So we can, especially in narrative, we can want main point one, the story right we just we just tell the story i think I think it's very effective just to in a sermon, just to tell the the narrative story, just to walk through it. Um, main point two, the interpretation. So this is you know if this is a, an Old Testament narrative, you can can bring to bear the New Testament realities on the text, just walk through it again, doing that of course, with your, all of this is with your proposition in mind. So you're, you're, you're still arguing, you're not just, um, indiscriminately just talking about every word and phrase in the, in the, um, in the text. You're, you're still arguing for your main point, but sometimes I think it's just more effective to just walk through the story, give the interpretation, and then main point three, application, (laughs) You can just ask the question: What do we learn from this? And give three. You know, we we learn three things. And then you give your application, and you point back to the text with those three things. I uh, the the point the point of the outline is to have a structure for the sermon. Uh, it's a means through which you argue the proposition. And so I don't I don't want us to be so tied to those formal outlines that that we become unhelpfully uh, dependent on them or think that using those outline using those outlines is what explains the text um, another another one number four is theological concept followed by formal outline so theological concept followed by formal outline so an example to this, Ephesians 1, 5. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. So so one way you can do this sermon is you have you have your introduction. So you have your introduction, and your introduction flows. Maybe to a theological concept. What is adoption? Because if your audience doesn't know what adoption is in the Old Testament, in the Bible story, in the Greco Roman world, if they, if they don't understand the theological concept, then it can help to kind of have a block where, where you explain that theological concept before you get into your formal outline so that in some ways you get halfway through your sermon before you even get to your formal outline that, that's that's not a problem you know you can do that uh if if that's what's needed so so a theological concept what's adoption and then a proposition after that adoption shows us god's sovereign affection for his children adoption shows us god's sovereign affection for his children how does it do that interrogative well one main point one he's sovereign and talk about predestination main point two he's a father and that he loves us and we talk about his sovereignty and choosing us for adoption and then his love and in, in adopting us to himself as a father those kinds of ideas so i i don't we shouldn't disparage down think low of sermons which which have blocks like that i, I think you can have lengthy introductions that explain those theological concepts. As long as, as long as they're for the purpose of explaining your proposition, right? So the reason this theological concept works here is because it helps show the prop. It helps argue for the prop. Without, without the theological concept, the prop would not have as much weight. Any questions on that?
1: I was wondering for these guys, like uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, do their sermons are more text topical? Uh, It it seems pretty free flowing. Yeah. They have three points, but not say them, or are they just doing something completely different?
0: Yeah, this is what they tend to do. First, they explain the text, is walk through and exegete the text almost like a running commentary. They then they didn't pull in related doctrines and cross references, and then give here's ten applications, right, <laughs> or five applications or whatever. But the the formal structure in those sermons tends to come, or at least when they say firstly, secondly, thirdly, it tends to be application. Um, so so what they tend to do is explain these two for the purpose of giving a Here's how we. Here's the three ways we can live it out. So you see that a lot in Lloyd Jones, where where his main points, his, his formal structure is applicationally oriented. It's a good question, and that, that's how you do it with text topical. Usually, is is your your main points are applicational, they're meditations on how to live it out. Um. So so those are your main points. Wait, I want to briefly address subpoints. I want to briefly address subpoints. Subpoints are helpful, but they're not necessary. So, so what what main points are to propositions? Subpoints are to main points. What, what what main points are to propositions? Subpoints are to main points. So, if you're so an example of that, going back to our Ephesians one outline we did here. So if, if main point, so if your proposition is because God has blessed us in Christ, we can worship God in all circumstances. And then our, our interrogative is how has God blessed us? One, God has blessed us in Christ. Or I'm sorry. God has, God has blessed us by, God has blessed us in Christ when he, God blessed us in Christ when he chose us. Number one, God blessed us in Christ when he chose us. Or you can say, because God has chosen us. Um. We can worship God in every circumstance to, to reference back to our proposition. And then our subpoints can be, you know, why has God chosen us? He's chosen us in him. When has God chosen us? Sub point one, why has God chosen us? God has chosen us in Christ. Sub point two, when did God choose us? God chose us before the foundation of the world. Sub point three, why did God choose us? So that we be holy and blameless before Him. So the the subpoints are arguing for the main point. So subpoints are not illustrations. Subpoints are not applications. Subpoints are further developments of the main point. You don't have to have them. They can certainly help, especially when you're first getting started and you want to make sure that you're not rambling with your main points. They they seek then to to explain further the main point in the way that main points explain the proposition. Um, So then here's, here's some, some advice for presenting, presenting main points. How do we, how do we make it clear? We, I think we do two things. Okay. How do we make clear our outline when we're preaching? Number one, we don't force it. We don't force our outline. We don't, we don't force the outline onto the text. We don't force a strict consistency. We don't, we don't make it seem artificial because as soon as we do, people stop listening to us. They think that we're more concerned with our method than we are with the text. So we don't force it. Um, but I think it's helpful. I think it's helpful to state our main points clearly. State our main points clearly. So we don't want people confused. We don't want people leaving confused about what our main points are or which main point we're on, or we don't want people thinking, did he just make a main point or no? We Don't force it, but we do state them clearly. Now, now stating them clearly can look like, for instance, first, let's, look at, first let's just look at the story and just walk through the story. So what does this mean? We give a new covenant context and how do we live this out? What can we learn from it? That, that can be how we state it clearly, but basically we, we want people knowing when a transition moment happens in our sermon. And oftentimes oftentimes when we do the presentation then, in order to make it clear, uh, we, can, we can state the proposition again as we transition to the main points. So it helps the proposition serve its function in the sermon.